0: Thank you, Margaret. Keep your Bibles open there. Morning. How are you going? What sort of thing, what things do you do every day? Okay, every day. So even, let's shrink it down a bit, even in the first hour of the morning, there's loads of things we do, isn't there, that um, we brush our teeth, Get dressed, check Facebook, uh, read your Bible. Yeah, and no one tells you to do these things, but they just sort of happen. They're your routine, and and during the day as well, um, it's like queuing. All right, so us Brits, we're very good at queuing. You know, a load of pe- big crowd of people trying to do the same thing, and somehow telepathically we form an orderly queue. It's part and parcel uh, of everyday life. And there are repeated words and phrases that become part, part and parcel of our everyday life, aren't there? Um, so, like for me, growing up, it, it was around tea, cups of tea. Okay. So, growing up, I used to think my middle name was Colin. I thought that my first name was Put the kettle on. <laughs> repeated words that just became everyday part of my life. Um, Today we're looking at this command in verse 5, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And we'll see how to do that by knowing God's word and obeying it as just what you do every day. So that our love of God, our love of his word and obeying him becomes integral to who we are. So there's an outline in your leaflets and we'll start with our motivation for love which is who God is. So just to get you up to speed where we're up to in Deuteronomy where Moses is speaking to this next generation of Israelites. They're at the edge of the river Jordan the the, the water's lapping at their feet and they can see just across the other side of the Jordan their destination. A destination they've been waiting 40 years for. The promised land. Life is about to get Really good. And Moses is setting them up for for the big change, the big transition. He's reminded them of their past failures and God's faithfulness and grace to them. Uh, and God's grace is still to be motivation for them. So verse 2, uh, motivate them so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life so the way they are to fear so that's not exactly frightening but having appropriate awe and recognition of, of God as their God the way to have that fear in all generations was to keep God's commands keep his word and the consequences of doing that long life it'll go well for them They'll increase greatly and be provided with more than they needed. So then we get to verse 4. And there's this kind of a, listen up. Pay attention to this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So key to Israel uh, keeping these commands. Key to them obeying God. Choosing life. Was to understand who God is. To understand who God is. So somebody years ago when I was first thinking about going into vocational ministry. Said to me that ministry is basically helping people to understand who God is. And from that flowing understanding who we are. So our motivation to love God in obedience is knowing who God is. So the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What, what does that mean that um, God is one? It's a, and it's a tricky tr- sentence to translate um, from the original Hebrew. And lots of Bibles have lots of footnotes of four different ways to put the words together. But, but from the context, we know it means that only God is God. And God is, God is one means that God has integrity so that means he's he's reliably consistent in who he is and in what he does and that God alone is worthy of being treated as God so only God is God God has integrity and God alone is worthy of being treated as God now, we, we've been hanging around with this idea of there being only one God for thousands of years. It's, it's not a new concept to me. In fact, the idea of lots of other gods is probably more alien to us. But for the world in w- to which Moses is speaking, the accepted norm. So, uh, the accepted thing that if you didn't think that, you'd be thought of as stupid or bigoted or hateful or backwards. The accepted norm was not going... was that there were loads of gods. Okay? Each nation and people group had their own sort of collection or variety of, of gods that they worshipped and served in a sort of a transactional way um, for various needs. Uh, that's what Israel had experienced back in Egypt. That's what the Egyptians were like, and it's what was going on where they're headed in the promised land. So what Moses is saying to them is, in that local context, he's revolutionary and it's very, very distinctive. God is one. So for the nations of the promised land that they're going into, um, your God, if God, your God, say, say you worship Baal. Okay? There was a God called Baal that they worship. If he wasn't working out for you, you could kind of like go around him and, and worship his, Baal's dad God instead. Or, you know, if you wanted to get the drying done, you could pray to the, the weather god for some good weather. Now that seems a world away from us, isn't you know? it? We don't have, have gods that we worship and we change willy-nilly. But in our society and culture, it's um, the self-determined self that is God. And I think if if one particular version of yourself isn't working out for you, then you can you can just be like Madonna. No worries. There's a thing I'll picture. Madonna. You, if you don't like a particular version of yourself, you just change your image, change what version of yourself you are, um, and reinvent yourself. run with that? And if anyone questions questions you, well, they're just being small-minded and trying to oppress you, right? But God is unchanging. God is reassuringly consistent. We don't need to, and indeed we can't bypass God for various different needs in in different areas of life. God is God in all circumstances. Always faithful, always merciful, always loving, always just. And because God has that oneness, that integrity of character, we can be sure that his commands, his word to us, good. So his commands for Israel back then are designed to make sure that they don't lose sight of God and how good he is. And they're designed to give them a good, long life in the land that goes well for them. Indeed, they're so good that there's uh, much wisdom and goodness that we can glean from those same laws. Even today, in completely different culture and circumstances, different point in salvation history. God's oneness is is liberating. It means we're freed to know um, who is the only one worthy of our life and worship. uh, And we aren't left second guessing what God is like. What God has done for Israel already has backed, backed up, in their lived experience, has backed up that God is good, faithful, and merciful. So I wonder is that how you see God? As loving you by grace, with integrity, um, despite what we've done? Or do you see him more as a sort of a threatening male figure who, who needs appeasing? We know even more than those Israelites and Moses. Uh, we know that God the Son came as one of us in Christ. So from Philippians 2. Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That death on a cross, which dealt once for all, once and for all with our rebellion against God, Uh, Which separated us from him. Uh, We can know God through Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. And so we can say that if we know Jesus, we know God in his oneness. So our next point, how to love. How to love, and it's with whole life. So, uh, verse 5 sums up what to do in response to who God is and what he's done. And this is what Jesus describes as the first and greatest commandment, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So, let's just unpack that a bit. Um, So, we associate the heart with romantic love, don't we? You know? but in Hebrew thought, um, that kind of sort of romance and emotions was thought to be centered on the kidneys. So you know, on Valentine's Day, mate, you send Bron a card. Bron, you really won my kidneys. Okay, be closer biblically to the truth. All right. But um, in Hebrew thought, the heart is the center of your will. So your your center of thought and decision making. So love God with all that, with all your will. And with all your soul. So your, the sort of essence of who you are. And then all your strength there. That is kind of an intensifier. So it's kind of saying love God with all your heart and soul. Muchly. Or you know, exceedingly. Kind of the idea of uh, straining with effort. As you put effort into doing this. So put it all together. And we see that the right response to God. Who does everything to love us. Is to love him with everything we've got. The right response to God, who does everything to love us, is to love God with everything we've got. So, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you never do anything except uh, read your Bible, sing Christian songs, and, and you know walk around with a sort of heavenly glow in your face. Um, I think I don't know. I think I'm the most cynical Christian that I know, and I'm always suspicious of people who seem so spiritual that they have no down-to-earth use. We tend to be suspicious like that, don't we? But the danger is, I think, that we overreact against that. Um, The danger is that we think, well, God's not interested in that part of me. He's kind of given me that part of me. To get on with and actually I kind of quite like keeping that part of me to myself. And we can end up trying to secret away parts of our lives from God. Justifying ourselves that we need to be true to ourselves, true to who God's made us to be. But actually deep down we end up thinking that we're better off without the hassle of giving that part of ourselves over to God. But God calls us to love him wholeheartedly. And to do that by having his commandments, so his word, on our hearts all the time. That's pretty poetic, isn't it? On on our hearts. But then Moses gets super practical and down to earth, doesn't he? Um, Verse 7. God's commandments, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And verse 8 that Stephen was shown us before. They, uh, some, some Orthodox Jews still do this literally. Um, binding God's word um, to your hands. So uh, God's word is to be over the things that you do. Practically. Um, uh, on your forehead. So um, God's word is to be over what makes us tick personally. Like, you know, like it's right between our eyes. God's word on our door frames. So God's word is, is what we should base how we run our households on. And on our gates. So that's referring to the city gates. So God's word is to be central in, in our thinking. In how we live our public life. How we're citizens. and How we are in our neighbourhoods. You know, so pray for your suburb. And connect with your neighbours. You know, why do you think it is that God put you... A Christian next door to those neighbours. Love God with all that you are by keeping his word on your heart all the time in every category of life. That's what Moses is getting across. So in the midst of washing up and study and chores, going shopping, going to uni, going to work, going to school, hanging out with friends, out on a date, there's there's no part of your day where it is not good to have your will directed by and centred on God's word. Now, I'm not saying whip out your Bible in the middle of work when everyone else is busy and actually getting the work done. That's not going to go down well, is it? Or or in the middle of a lecture or a lesson at school. But do make sure that you are equipped with having read some already to muse on, uh, to keep God and his word part of your everyday. Commit some to memory, Um, I drive my family nuts um, in various ways. But the one I'm thinking of is because I'm I'm like my grandma. Now, my grandma was um, always in her retirement, which is all I knew, um, part of singing groups, you know, just as a hobby. She wasn't a great singer, but she enjoyed singing a lot. And she seems to have a song for everything. You know, she, she just knew so many songs. So she came for Sunday lunch, say, Can you pass the salt, grandma? Can you pass the salt? She'd have some song about Absolutely everything. It just triggered memories for her. Wouldn't it be great if we were so saturated with God's word from the Bible that we had the same thing happen with Bible verses instead of songs? What might God do with that in our lives if we were that centered on God's word? So, you don't need to walk around with a holy glow um, and a pious look on your face. But what we do, say, think, watch, eat, what we listen to, how we are as a friend, as a son, as a daughter, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a worker, a spender, a Facebooker, a student, whatever it is, we do it for the love of God. Uh, seeking to do it in ways that we know he likes from his word. Living for Jesus, denying ourselves, taking up our cross. The thing is, there's much to distract us, isn't there? And Moses anticipated that for the Israelites, the blessings they were going to enjoy in the land could also become what captured their hearts away from God. So, verses 10 to 11 get across just how awesome and abundant their life is going to be in the promised land, how they're going to be really well off, really comfortable. And picking up at the end of verse 11: When you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So, in your plenty, Don't forget that you were completely lost, and who rescued you? I mean, it couldn't happen to us, could it? I mean, sure, we're comfortable, but that doesn't mean our hearts uh, could be dulled, does it? Uh, We'll never find ourselves making decisions that help our career or kids, but distracts us from God and dulls our love for him. We wouldn't do that, would we? We enjoy lots of entertainment and connectivity. But that's not going to crowd out our time for reading the Bible or hanging out with other Christians. Is it? When you eat and are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord who went to the cross to bring you from death to life. Choose life see the truth is, God deserves our total love, and in any case, every part of our life is more full of life when we give it over to God, so we 've seen we 're to love God with. All that we are by keeping His word front and center, and next we can love God with all that we are by making Him the measure by which we live our lives. By seeking to do right, do what is right in His eyes. That's our next point. So, as I said, Israel are about to head into dodgy, false God central. Okay, how will they keep loving God when all around them are doing anything but? By, verse 13, fearing God. So having that healthy, appropriate awe for him. And verse 18, seeking to do what is right in his sight. So Israel are not entering a vacuum. You know, Everyone around them will be coming from a completely different culture and worldview. And we don't live our faith out in a vacuum. Our, our society and culture has its own ideas about how the world ticks. So our culture has elevated the the individual and their freedom to express that individuality to having prime importance. And there are lots of upsides to that for our society. But there's downsides too. Who is to say where to draw the line? Who is to make the call when what an individual wants is not good for other individuals? Uh, Which individual is right? Whose moral compass do we use? We're all partly um, a product of our culture, and, and much of it is good. But right from the start, God tells his people, you have to be different. Some things about your culture, you are going to have to stand up to. Some things are going to make you stick out like a sore thumb. Verse 14, don't follow the gods of the people around you. It might become to seem the most obvious and natural and reasonable thing to do. What everyone else is doing. But don't. God is jealous. Not jealous like a bad boyfriend or girlfriend. But God, God knows it's not okay to give our loyalty to anything else. Why? Because he is good. His commands are good. And therefore, if we stay loyal to him, verse 18, it will go well for us. He knows, God knows that if we give ourselves over to anything other than him, it will harm us. It will enslave us. God is one. Keep your eyes and your loyalty on him. And finally, another way to love God with all that we are. And keep his word on our hearts. Is to remember God's love. Remember God's love. Sooner or later. We can end up wondering. Oh, why do I keep going with God? I mean this is so hard. Is he worth it? And if you're a parent. Um, your children eventually work out. That most of the kids don't go to church. And will ask. What? Why do we go to church? And Moses has thought of that. He knows what, Israel knows what Israel knows about God needs to be passed on to the next generation and on and on after that. They need to remember everything that God has done for them so that they don't forget what it means that he is one. He is for them. He is good, faithful and merciful. So what's in Israelite to tell his, his kids when the kid asks, Why are we following all these laws? Well, he should tell him what it was like before God rescued them slavery. He's to tell them that all the world has to offer, the way everyone else says it should work, like Pharaoh and Egypt, is just rubbish compared to our great and powerful God. He said, "Tell them that if they follow, they follow God's word because God is good and kind and keeps His promises, and He promises that living this way is the best way for them to flourish and be fulfilled." Israel were to remember their lived history from living memory, and we can remember our lived history. We were lost, dead in our sins. Making up life as we went along. But God stepped into history. God the son became one of us. A real human yet fully God. He did miracles and forgave people their sins. Showing he was God's promised warrior king. Come to rescue his people. And he gave himself up to betrayal. Suffering and death on a cross. Because he was God's servant. Dying in our place to take the judgment for our sins. He rescued us from slavery to our sin and he came to live within us, within us by his spirit and he's transforming us from the inside out right now, calling us to share the good news with other people uh, and to help one another to grow as disciples and grow his church. He's changed us from lost sinner deserving death to child of God with eternal, uh, with eternal life with no tears, our certain future. That's why we go to church. That's what we can remember. That's why we try to obey And then verses 24 and 25 repeat the idea that if they obey, it will go well for them, as God has already shown them. Now the law, it's funny because the law includes the laws about what to do when you don't keep the law. So perfection, it seems obvious, perfection is never expected. But responding in whole life love will be, verse 25, their righteousness The Bible has always been, from the very beginning, about grace first. God's grace first and obedience second in response to that. And it has always been the case that it's the faith of the heart that that obedience represents that saves us. The obedience we're called to now is the obedience of faith in Jesus None of us can claim to have loved the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength. All of us are guilty of hiding our hearts away from God's word. But when we trust and believe in Jesus, his work on the cross ensures that God looks on us as if we have loved him completely. And he gives his spirit to us, to help us. Beginning to fulfill his promise spoken um, by the prophet Jeremiah. That's on the screen, so thanks. I I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So to conclude, love the Lord your God with all your heart. As you, keep, keep, as you read your Bible, keep asking yourself, what does this tell me about who this one God is? And use what you find to motivate you To love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love him by obeying his word. And build those memory connections with scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. In all the noise of the world. All that you're seduced into taking for granted as normal. Have another look at it. Question it. Hold it up to the Bible. And do what is right in the Lord's eyes. Because you know that it is good for you. Because you know that God is good. And God is one. And love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remember. Remember what he has done for you. And turn to him to grow you in your love of him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are good. Uh, Thank you that you are one. Uh, you're consistent. Uh, please help us to uh, love you with everything we've got, to love you with all our hearts, our, all our soul, and with all our strength. Please keep writing uh, your word on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.